Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman here in Melbourne. And not alongside me, still overseas, still reveling in the New Year's Eve celebrations in Singapore, is my esteemed colleague at ESPN.com.au, Olga Nulich. And Olgs, by the way, still breaking news. While you're on holidays overseas, which is why uh, you are the best in the business. And on a family holiday, roster news never stops. It was so... Okay, so what happened there was there was like, I heard whispers in the evening. I'm not dealing <laughs> with too much of a, a time difference here, which is good. No. Uh, but I had to wake up at 5 a.m. and make calls and, and hit some people up. And I managed to, yeah, I managed to like continue doing my job from out here, which is quite which is quite fun. Well, we love it. And we're going to get to Ty Webster and the Perth Wildcats a little bit later on. So Wildcats fans can stick around for that news and we'll break it all down on what it potentially means for the Wildcats, who, as it currently stands, are in fifth. But Happy New Year to you, Olgs. And Happy New Year. I've got no idea what's going on in this season. And you know <laughs> that I'm relatively conservative with my hot takes. I'm not out here throwing barbs left, right, and center and making bold predictions. We make some predictions. There's no doubt about that. But I like to really feel confident about what I'm going with. And you mentioned this to me a few minutes ago as we were just catching up on what you've been up to for the last week. Every single game is crazy. I don't know who's making the top six. I still think we've got seven teams in the mix. I think you think there's eight teams in the mix, but <laughs> we are seeing dramatic changes left, right, and center. As we said, the Wildcats make a roster change. The Phoenix are in injury disarray again, as they always seem to be at this time of the year. The Breakers, we just haven't seen play for a little bit here. The Cairns Taipans lose Pinder, and maybe they're slipping, but they have a fantastic weekend and win two games in a row. I don't know where you want to start, but I am confused about which way this is going to pan out. All right. So let's get out of the way. Me thinking there's eight teams at the very least. That eight <laughs> team is not mathematically out of it. That's true. And they're, they're on the heels of, of that. So we're talking about Melbourne United. They're on yes. the heels of whomever that seventh team is. That seventh team yes. is currently Adelaide. And I think it's probably worth starting on Adelaide because they were a team that made their significant midseason move by bringing in Ian Clark. And they looked really good for 75% of their matchup with the Cairns Taipans. They looked like they were about to cruise to a win, practically ready to throw in their bench and, and everyone was going to wave the white flag. And then a really, really embarrassing collapse where the Taipans ended up locking up. They're one of the best defenses in the league. They made shots and Adelaide was just stagnant. They didn't play Ian Clark very much down the stretch, which was confusing by CJ Bruton. Um, and with how volatile this ladder looks, that loss could mean everything. Um, just just not locking in in the last quarter of that game could mean could be the difference between them making the top six and not. Um, and so right now they're they're in seventh. They're ten and nine, and like you said, Tasmania is ahead of them, and they're they're looking like they're really organized right now. They still got guys to come back as well. They've got Matt Kenyon to come back. They've got Sam McDaniel to come back. You've got Perth, who's just out of Ty Webster, who we're going to talk about a bit later. Southeast Melbourne is have picked up enough wins, but they're a team that's a bit precarious too. But Adelaide is... There's still There are still games to go, right? And it's going to be against some of those teams, and so they'll pick up those double wins. Um, but they're a team that I'm I'm a little bit worried about right now. I was thinking, speaking of Melbourne United, I was thinking about Melbourne United as Adelaide coughed that one up because the game in Perth 
with Melbourne United that they blew the game against Tasmania where they led for 38 and a half minutes or something around that and lost the game at home. And those are the games that Melbourne, I think, and as you're right, they're mathematically still United. They might go on a run here on the road. It would be unlikely, but it's still obviously possible. But I get the sense they're going to look back on those two games. Adelaide, still plenty of time. They've still got nine games left, actually. We know they started their season a little bit later. So plenty of time and a game against Illawarra that they just can't afford to lose. And the Hawks have been a little bit pesky, as we've seen. So when you lose a game like that, you just can't afford to let it slip. So everyone's talking about the 18-point margin with six and a half to go. Erase that. Go to 529 to play. Ian Clark makes a layup. They're up 80 to 64. There's no pinder for the Cairns Taipans. They've got a couple of players in foul trouble. McCall, I think, had four fouls at the time. So did Shannon Scott, I believe. So you just can't lose from that situation. And this is what happened after that stretch. They had seven straight turnovers. I couldn't even believe that when I was going through to play-by-play. Seven straight turnovers between the 354 mark and 117. Jeez. And to your point about Ian Clark, and look, I don't necessarily blame CJ Bruton for this because you should be able to give Ian Clark, who's just arrived to your club, two minutes off the court. Now, I get it. You want to take care of it. Cairns are making a run. But whatever. They got players out on the floor that should be able to handle this. And CJ Bruton said it after the game that he thought that they played a little bit safe. And that's exactly what they did. Rather than looking to score, which they've done a really good job of throughout the night, as you pointed to against the top three defense, they stopped and it was all about, let's take 24 seconds off the clock. And and what resulted in that was a couple of shot clock violations. There was a couple of charges because they'd given up good looks and then all of a sudden they'd swung it to the corner and Sunday Detch is driving and trying to make something happen with two seconds left on the clock. And that's not being critical of him, who's, who's also had a good season. But it was that was what happened to Adelaide they got to a point where they're like all right this wins in the bank let's run the clock down and just prevent the Cairns Taipans from having enough time and unfortunately I don't know whether there's a team that said seven straight turnovers but it came at the most costly time uh, for Adelaide I mean the only team that maybe I can think of would have had seven straight turnovers was Southeast Melbourne against Tasmania a few days ago <laughs> where they just didn't have their point guard they just didn't have any guys who can bring them up the floor and they were just trapped um, but Adelaide, it the, what Adelaide is going through now feels like what Sydney went through a week or two ago, um, maybe a long, bit longer than that, when they went through their fourth quarter issues, where they decided just to play super safe, play it slow. Um, everything just got a bit stagnant, and they went away from what really worked for them, which is push the pace, you know, get into your shots early, that sort of thing. And Adelaide is sort of rising up that that pace chart. They're, they're one of the better transition teams in the league now. And, like, keep going at that. You have, like, Mitch McCarron could bring the ball up. you got Antonius Cleveland who can impose himself on the defensive end and then push it and, and be, like, LeBron-like on the break. Um, it just seemed like they slowed it down too much. Ball didn't, you know, touch hands. And then no, it almost seemed like no one wanted to shoot. And against a team like Cairns who... Like you said, they, they can be pesky. Like Cairns could be pesky as well. I know you mentioned that about Illawarra, but Cairns is that sort of team. Like they are an annoying team to go up against. They are really long. Uh, they are super active. And if you don't kind of put the foot down against them, they can sneak back into games. And then all of a sudden, momentum carries them all the way forward. Um, I, again, I, I don't think it's a long-term issue for Adelaide. Um, like, they will work Ian Clark into things. It'll be okay. Um, 
but it was more that they had their top six berth like in their hands, and now mm-hmm. it might not be anymore. And Ian Clark did play 19 minutes in this game. He's only had a couple of games back. So yeah, probably, I don't know if this is the fact, this is just me you know, hypothesizing here, but maybe CJ Bruton thought at the time, I, I don't know where they are with minutes for him. If they want to play in 25 minutes, maybe not. If he only played 19, he had 15 points in this game. So he probably thought he wouldn't have to bring him back into the game. But uh, again, if you fuel the Cairns Taipans offense with that transition stuff, they can be pretty potent. But I agree. Not overly concerned about Adelaide just yet because I think they've got, if you look at the roster now, they've got balance. But we spoke about it last week. They're going to take some time uh, to get all these pieces together and and get it figured out. But that was one that they should have locked away after really giving themselves a little bit of a scare against the Brisbane Bullets a couple of nights earlier as well. So I think Adelaide will be fine, but they're 10-9 and nine and they're right in the mix alongside a team that is also right in the mix. And that's the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, who is 12 and 12-9. So they've only got seven games to go. Three of those at the State Basketball Centre, which we know is a, a pretty crazy atmosphere. So it might not be uh, John Kane Arena. And when we compare Melbourne to Southeast Melbourne, this is definitely the bonus in the schedule for the Phoenix. They have this alternate venue they can go to. They played there before. They practice there. Very familiar. They feel fine about that. And as I saw in Terrelgan when I went out there, <laughs> a significant home court advantage. So I think the Phoenix are still in a decent spot in terms of the schedule, but who's going to play for this team? I, I think it's, it's snuck up on people when they, they started one on five, went on this huge run. Now all the injuries have hit again. Trey Cal has another knee knock. He's just been battling niggles all season long. We know Brockoff uh, and also Gary Brown have been hobbled the last couple of weeks and missed some games. Mitch Creek has carried stuff all season long. So if they're healthy, I feel great about the Phoenix, but I don't feel great about the fact they can get healthy. And and I worry that Tasmania has exposed perhaps the, the best game plan against them, which is just to put a ton of pressure on them because they just don't have ball handlers. They don't have guys who can bring it up the floor. Like If, if you're entrusting... Well, not with, those, not with those guys that played the other night. Yeah. And they're exactly. young and inexperienced. That's the thing. Like Owen Foxwell has had really cool moments this season. Yeah. Um, Carl Adnam, I think he's slowly... He's showing glimpses of getting back to you know where we know he can be, um, but if they're the only two who you're trusting to you know get the ball over the halfway line, then you're then there are some issues, right? Because a lot of what they want to do is they want to get the ball over the line, they want to get through a set, get the ball in the post, and if you just if you put a ton of pressure on them and don't allow them to get the ball to the spots they want to get to, then they're they're in trouble because they're not a team that's gonna. Um, they're not going to shoot the ball. They're not going to shoot the ball at a high level. Um, they just want to get it inside. And if you don't have your point guards to get it in there, then 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 that's like that's a big issue. Um, I think they're lucky. They they've banked twelve wins, which is good considering they started the season unhealthy as well. So for them to have banked twelve wins already is 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 really impressive. But what scares me is the the schedule, at least for the next few games. You know they have Sydney tomorrow, which. Like, unfortunately, you can sort of scratch that already. Um, and then in Cairns. So I feel like that'll be a significant game, um, especially if we look at whatever New Zealand is doing and whether that number two spot is going to be up for grabs. Because um, that's another part of this too. We, when we spoke about Adelaide, and sorry for going like up and down the, the standings, but we're talking about like seven teams here. Um, you know, Adelaide, if they won against Cairns, which they should have, they'd be 11 and eight. 
they'd be in third or fourth place right now. They would New Zealand is 11 and 6 and so they had a real chance to get into that top 2 and have that guaranteed spot in the playoffs. All of a sudden they're now down in 7th. This this is also volatile. Well, that's why the carnage in Turalgan a couple of weeks ago when we did the podcast after that, so we said important. Yeah, the the fact that they won that game was just humongous and it might be the difference when we look back at it in a few weeks time even if it probably has cost them for these these last couple of weeks. But if they had have had that injury toll and lost that game, then they would be in significant trouble right now because, yeah, they go in, they face the Kings who are healthy at this point as we record this Tuesday morning. They're healthy going into that game in Sydney. And if the Phoenix lose, if they lose, I won't guarantee it, if they lose, because look, this is the NBL 23, anything can happen. Yeah. But if they lose that game against Sydney, they will have 10 losses on the season. The only teams with more losses at that point is Melbourne, Brisbane, and Illawarra. So all of a sudden, again, we did our three-by-three column a couple of weeks ago, and I said, the Phoenix are the biggest team to be concerned about in the top six. But I said, not because I think they're going to slip out, just because of the health stuff. And I had them finishing top two if they stayed healthy. I thought that that's what was going to happen. We spoke to Simon Mitchell post-game at one of the games at John Kane Arena, and he said that was the goal. They wanted to get out of the playing tournament. And now they do find themselves in a little bit of a fight. Hopefully they can get back healthy soon. But another team that perhaps we didn't think was going to be in this mix, uh, but now they've got there. But injuries are going to take a toll for a number of these teams. If we swing it back to Cairns, again, we spoke about the bad stuff with Adelaide for losing that game. But Cairns survived two really tight games without Keanu Pinder, their MVP candidate, to me, over this New Year's weekend, the Cairns Taipans were the big winners to go two and zero, and they were very fortunate. They they picked they somehow picked up that win over Adelaide, and then it was just unfortunate for Illawarra that Peyton Seaver did his shoulder. I think we're going to find out about about that today. There is a very good chance he's done for the season, um, and they didn't have Michael Fraser as well, and so they got to go up against a depleted Illawarra team. Um, which is unfortunate because I wonder who's going to go up against a healthy Illawarra team, you know, with Daniel Greta playing some good basketball now, with Sam Froling looking consistent. I feel like Illawarra could be a spoiler for some of these teams trying to kind of stay in the playing situation. Um, but those were really big wins from Cairns. This this was a weekend where we hadn't seen them without Keanu Pinder much. Um, we saw how they struggled when Keanu didn't, get to the line right and we heard Adam Ford's frustrations about that and what he said last week but we saw what that team looked like when Keanu Pinder wasn't producing in the way that he has been all season in that MV at that MVP level and so for them to step up for someone like Shannon Scott to step up in the way he did especially in that Adelaide game um, you know he is the kind of point guard that I think I've said this all season that a lot of other teams would wish they had um, you know someone who's super composed doesn't turn the ball over much um, can really knock down shots too, which we've seen throughout the season, but I think we've seen especially over the past few games. Um, you know, I I think it's not even just picking up these wins. I think they've shown some signs of different ways they can attack. Um, one thing I want to see from them, I want to see DJ Hogan involved a little bit more um, and maybe just a little bit earlier too, because it seems like we're always getting to fourth quarters and this dude is on six, eight points. I want him to get more shots up. He's one of the elite shot makers in the NBL. 
I want them to feed the ball to him. Come on, 40. You said, you told us <laughs> in a press conference that he was going to drop 50 in a game this season, and we haven't <laughs> seen it. Although he has threatened to maybe drop 50 in a fourth quarter, so uh, I have to give him credit. He's been going off, particularly in these two games. He was huge and one of the major factors uh, for the reason they won those games. So everyone's spoken about it. The yeah, Pinder out for these two games. And we can actually get to your... You wrote a story on ESPN.com.au that dropped today. It was your awards predictions. And Pinder was certainly in the mix for MVP. So that's why when you talk about getting the job done, when your best players are out of the lineup, the Cairns Taipans, doesn't matter how you win, you get the W in the column. Hopefully you get Keanu Pinder back. Uh, Forty obviously spoke a fair bit about the way Keanu Pinder's been defended. And this is his first season as an MVP candidate in this league. Uh, did you see anything? We were both there at the open air game or have you noticed anything throughout the season in terms of the way Keanu Pinder has been defended? Um, I Out think... of the ordinary for an MVP candidate, by the way, because uh, he should be uh, given close attention. Let's say that. Well, so it seemed like throughout the start of the season, I think 40 has admitted as much. Keanu Pinder has gotten superstar calls. Um, and I don't know if that was down to, uh, the officials, you know, treating him like a superstar because in the NBL, he is he's an MVP sort of caliber guy. Um, or it was because of the nature of the way he played. And it's very tough to officiate that he plays. He's really athletic. Um, he's really twitchy in the way he moves. And so it, it could just be them having a tough time officiating him early um, giving him a lot of calls and then maybe, you know, adjusting, maybe looking back and seeing some contact and realizing, hey, maybe this isn't a foul. This is just Keanu being super aggressive and this is legal uh, incidental body contact. Um, that open air game, um, I think Biggs will generally have a, a tough time going up against Melbourne just because they have Isaac Humphreys and then they have Marcus Lee to throw at you. Um, and Isaac Humphreys did a good job against Xavier Cooks shortly after as well. So, you know, we've seen that front court be pretty decent against those mobile, um, those mobile bigs. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly think it's just Keanu just, he's just not, he's not getting the same calls and I don't know which one I'd put it down to. What, what Which is more likely to you that refs have sort of caught on and realized like, Hey, Keanu plays in sort of an erratic manner. Um, we're not going to give him those calls anymore because we've maybe looked back and we've realized they're not fouls. Or is it because what would the other reason be? Is it they don't want to treat him like a superstar anymore? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think that there is always a little bit of an adjustment period across the season when someone explodes on the league like he has this year. And last year, obviously, was a breakout season. But this year, he's been playing with a different level of physicality. And with players like Pinder and Probably Xavier Cooks is similar. Alan Williams is similar. And they don't play the same way, but similar in terms of their physicality trying mm. to get to the rim. You could probably call a foul on every play. And I think we've all watched the NBL enough to know that on a night-to-night basis, things can change a little bit. That's just yeah. the way it is. But I understand why he was frustrated in general because he had 10 free throw attempts in a win over Tasmania on December 17th. Then he had zero a couple of nights later against Perth. And then he only had two in that game against Melbourne where he was banged up. 
and there has been, if you really go through the game logs, there's been fluctuations throughout the season. But the Taipans are seven and one when Keanu Pinder has more than five free throw attempts. Now that might be an arbitrary number, but I'm sure Adam Ford is a little bit aware of that. He's also probably aware that at the moment they're eighth in offense for the league. And Keanu Pinder being able to get those calls and get to the free throw line is big for this Cairns Taipans offense to keep the scoreboard ticking over, particularly because he's their best player. And that's the way he's going to score. He's getting up fewer than two threes a game because that's not really the way he scores. So they need him to continue to be physical and they really do need him to continue to be rewarded by getting to the free throw line because he's actually only 95 for 170 at the rim this season, which is 56%, which is below league average. Now, it's obviously a high volume, which plays into that. But a big part of his game has been getting to the free throw line. He's had a 20 attempt game. He's had a 14 attempt game. And then obviously the 10 attempt game that I mentioned. So yeah, whether or not, you know, 40 maybe crossed the line and specifically saying players were trying to potentially, or players were playing above and beyond what the, the normal physicality is. I don't want to say he... I don't want to misconstrue what he said. I'll say it. He implied that he implied they were playing dirty, Mm. which I think is just an incorrect assessment of what he saw. I I just think that we've seen back and forth between different coaches. I think it was the Sydney game. If I just look at it, yeah, the Sydney game where he had the 20 free throw attempts. And I don't think Chase Buford was thrilled that he had 20 free throw attempts. (laughs) So that was kind of insinuated. And then you might have another coach who's frustrated with Keanu Pinder getting all these free throw attempts. So Ford, he's like, hey, hey, I can't have these coaches setting the narrative. I need to set the narrative for my guy when he comes back and ensure that the first game back, he gets 15 free throw attempts. Yeah. And look, I don't think the... So you mentioned that 7-1 and record um, when Pinder shoots, what, five or more free throws? Yeah, in it's game? a low number. I might be clutching at straws a but, bit, but no, I think I don't it's need... significant. I don't even think that's arbitrary. I think there's like an obvious corollary between how effective Keanu is able to be and, and the success of that team. Um, especially now when, like you mentioned, they have dropped off offensively. You know, they started off kind of hot. Um, but right now, it's, it, it's tough for them to put the ball in the hole. Um, they have, they're able to do it against Illawarra because unfortunately everyone is. Um, but, you know, they've struggled offensively. It's their defense that's lifted them. And so... If they can lean on their defense, which they have been, and then they can have games where Keanu is able to be super effective and productive, and a big part of that is getting to the line, then then I get there's there's a much better chance they're going to win games. So I completely understand the the intent behind Adam Ford, you know, speaking, you know, putting that sort of idea into the ether, um, and he's he's not completely wrong in that regard. Mm. Um, it's it's weird. It, as as much as I don't think the NBL officials are great, um, I think the main con- the main issue that people around the league have is that they're inconsistent. That's the main one. They don't, they don't know what's a call and what's not a call. Whether it's a travel or whether it's a block, the 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 rule that was introduced at the start of the season has just seemingly not even been in effect. Um, it's that's the thing that people have take issue with. And so if you can say something out in the media, throw it out there in the environment, and and maybe in a, the officials hear it and maybe act toward it and maybe sway your way, then I guess that's that's good strategy from Adam Ford. As I just look it up here, do you know where Keanu Pinder ranks for free throw attempts per game in the league? 
Uh, I mean, he was. I want to say he's not still first, is he? Third now. He obviously only had those two free throw attempts across those so two games. Off. But he's still getting six point two a game. He's behind, and again, that's obviously heavily impacted by the thirty fourth free throw attempts across two games. But he's behind Bryce Cotton and Mitch Creek, so he's getting to the free throw line as much as any big man in the league when he plays on average across the entire season. I mentioned your awards article that you've just published uh, very conveniently a few minutes before we jumped on here to record this podcast. We don't need to go through it all because we want everyone to go to ESPN.com.au and make sure they have a read through and click into that and then send any uh, personal grievances, uh, grievances, I should say, your way on Twitter. Come at me, run straight at me. I just have a few queries, not necessarily complaints, just curiosities for me. So uh, defensive player of the year or best defensive player. So you have Derek Pardon, who I'm I'm down for. I'm cool with that. I had him number seven in my latest NBL top 15 player rankings. Love Derek Pardon. I love that. And I think you're right. I think he's right up there. My curiosity is Justin Simon, who we know, by the way, is an elite defender. So it's not, I'm not questioning the fact that he's there. But there has certainly been, I think, uh, a push for Xavier Cooks as a potential best defensive player candidate. So why did you go with Justin Simon and not Cooks as your finalist? Right it's now? it's a it's a weird one. When I ask, so I ask around Sydney, you know, like who who is because I look at that team, like Derek Walton Jr. is an effective defender Xavier Cooks is a really effective defender there was a good portion of the first half of the season where we were talking about Tim Suarez as a potential defensive player of the year because of his uh, his ability which was a surprise to a lot of us just to defend to, to defend the rim his rim deterrence was really significant um but Justin Simon and it's not just reputational but it's he is their point of attack guy so he's their long wiry wing who is guarding the the main kind of perimeter option on the other team. Um, and then I just think it's his presence in the paint, um, presence around um, whether it's deflections, whether it's um, contests. I think a lot of what he does is what guides the Kings on the other end of the floor, which is running in transition and, and pushing. Um, when I spoke to people around the league, there was some, a lot of people mentioned Xavier Cooks as, you know, he, he gets the job done, but is he as does he make as much of an impact as a Justin Simon? Um, you know, does he impose himself defensively in the same way? Um, and look, that you can. It's this is a weird season when it comes to this award. I don't think there's a a clear cut guy. I don't mm. think there's a Justin Simon from two years ago or an Antonius Cleveland from last year. Um, but I think they're the best defensive team defensive team in the league. I think they're running away as the best defensive team. And I think Justin Simon just, I think he just does the most out of all those guys. Um, and like I mentioned in the story, it's very much a team thing for the Sydney Kings. This not this isn't just one guy who is dictating the entire situation there. It, they guard as a team, but I think Justin Simon is sort of like the the boss of that. I like it. Acceptable. Outside of Chase Buford. Yeah. No, I, I think that's that's fine. So then, if we the other one that. Uh, I guess had me. You a have an bit. issue with you say issue. Say you have an issue with it. No, no. I just uh, it was rookie of the year. So, and before I I get into this conversation, I do need to probably 
I don't think apologize is, is the right word, but just an acknowledgement to the great Liam Santa Maria, who we know is, is an excellent analyst, does some sensational stuff. Of course. Uh, with the NBL. And not only that, he's also, uh, I believe, the GM of Next Stars now. So as far as like evaluating young talent, he knows what's up. Yeah. So <laughs> before the season. What's your issue? <laughs> no, no, no. So before the season, and this is not something that I, that I absolutely have not forgot. Before the season, he tweeted when the Cairns Taipan signed Sam Wardenberg, he tweeted and said something along the lines of probably rookie of the year or something like that. And sure. so, and I commented under it and said, geez, this is the earliest declaration we've had for rookie of the year in the history of the award. <laughs> And I don't know whether he loved it, to be honest. I think, he, <laughs> I think, and I was, you know, as you know, a lot of the stuff I say is um, quite, um, I, I enjoy a bit of banter for sure. So yeah. it was, it wasn't personal. It was supposed to be a, just a friendly little nudge, but I, I don't think he loved it. And he just said, no, I said, probably. Anyway, he's going to be right. Or is he going to be right? Because here's something that I wanted to bring up with you. You said that Sam Wardenberg is the clear rookie of the year uh, for this season, which I think is the general consensus, but I want to throw in uh, someone else for the award who is averaging more points, more minutes, has a higher three-point percentage, is averaging more rebounds per game, and is also in their first year as a professional. We're going to go through this again with another Wildcat. Is this what we're doing? It's, it's, in my opinion, arguably the best rookie in the league, Brady Manick. How how did you forget Brady Manick? We're doing this again. Came. How did you forget him? Oh, John Mooney. Should, well, let's make it John Mooney then. Let's let's go. Let's what retroactively. What do you mean? Do, 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 let's retroactively give the Rookie of the Year award to John Mooney from a few years ago. Why? Because he was also a rookie. And why didn't he win it? Because because you can't if you're if you're on a, a restricted contract, which is an import contract, you can't win Rookie of the Year. What? It's for locals. It's it's for it's not even for locals. Is it? It's just you can't if you're an import, you can't win it. So can you win it if you're a next star? Yes. Can you win it if you're a, a you can win, special? You can, res- you can win it if you're a next star because there was a point where Lamelo Ball was a next star, and the league just decided to make a hilarious rule um, where it doesn't have to be your first pro season; it has to be your first pro season when you turn eighteen, or since you've turned eighteen. And so that's why Ryan Repair is in the conversation because this is his first pro team since turning eighteen. That's why Lamelo Ball won the award, and congratulations to him. What a what a terrific accomplishment in his career um but yeah we're not Kane. i just with the group we're not doing this again <laughs> so liam again you will always be a better young talent evaluator than me i can fully accept this but i did forget when i threw that little barb at you on twitter i did forget that this award was completely rigged you've got a guy that has just come straight from college it's not like it's his first year in australia he is a true rookie and he's not eligible to win rookie of the year I don't care what the argument was two years ago. We weren't doing this podcast then. This is absolutely ridiculous. Like it is the silliest thing I've ever heard because the numbers are comparable. And I, Brady Manick is definitely more important in my opinion to the Perth Wildcats because of, as we've spoken about along the season, the things that they've needed from their big men and spacing the floor and help offensive help for Bryce Cotton than Wardenberg is for the Cairns Taipan. So that's not even a knock on Sam Wardenberg. He's had an excellent season, but if this award was actually legit and fair and there wasn't just rules made up on the spot to decide who can win it, <laughs> then I think Brady Manick and Wardenberg would be a toss-up. Look, I don't I don't completely disagree. I think th- well, there you should can't. be a How world. could you disagree? 
Oh, like it's probably easy to disagree. <laughs> I, I would, I would just, I would just go against your argument. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it's, I, I get it. But if you're a rookie, if this is your first pro season, or when, and I'll even include if it's your first pro season since turning 18, then you should be eligible to win rookie of the year in the NBL. You are a rookie. Um, as of now, it is a an award reserved for local players, and Sam Wardenberg, a terrific New Zealander, is probably the guy. And and there's and the reason why Liam made that prediction so early was because as soon as he signed, a lot of us knew that he signed with the assumption that he would be their starting power forward or their starting set, one of their starting front court guys. We knew that was going to be the case. And a lot of times, rookie of the year goes to the rookie who gets the best opportunity. And he, he didn't just get the best opportunity. He's also produced. Um, and he's been a, a, an impactful guy for their team. He has been a good fit for them too. He has. He's had a good season, Sam Wardenberg. Definitely no doubt about that. And uh, shout out to Liam for obviously, all, uh, naturally, remembering the laws of this uh, rigged award better than I did. Uh, <laughs> we should notice though, you did mention... Uh, Rayon repair because it looks like he's going to make his return on Wednesday night, which is exciting. That was early November when he broke his wrist, unfortunately slipped on a wet spot in that game against the Sydney Kings. Speaking of carnage, there was guys going down left, right, mm, and center. You were at that, that game, game as well. I was overseas. I was in New Zealand. You're not the only one that gets to go on overseas trips, Olga Nulich. I was over there. I was. That was a there. junket. I'm here with my family. You got <laughs> well, sent there. It was great. Honestly, I loved it. <laughs> I, I want to go back to New Zealand for the postseason, hopefully. Uh, but Ryan Rupert looks like he's going to come back. So this is at least interesting because I think at the time when it happened, we looked at you know maybe eight-week injury. Does he come back at all? And And I think part of it was going to be based on where the breakers were, but perhaps more so it was going to be where he was sitting in draft calculations because let's be honest i'm sure he's desperate to win an nbl title with the new zealand breakers but i'm sure he's uh even more focused on potentially making an absolute packet at the nba draft this year and jonathan gavoni uh, espn's draft expert has him at 18 in his latest mock draft so did you think there was even a decision to be made no not really like repair has hovered around that 18 sort of mark throughout the entire season um, but but like we spoke about off air, that there's a, a real sense that his range is anywhere from you know 15 to 35, 40, right? It's it is so wide that I don't think he's at a point with regard to his draft stock that he can just like rest uh, on his laurels at this point. I think he has to go out there and the the more he can produce, and if he produces and, and shows the level of impact that he showed in his first nine games of the season then I think that range will slowly, slowly shrink and maybe just maybe just hover in that 15 to 25 mark. And as soon as I think he feels he's there, then I think he'll be comfortable. But I I, I feel like it'll take the entire season for it to get to there. Um, and then they'll be in the... Unless something absolutely absurd happens, they'll be in the playoffs. Um, and I think there's value in showing what you can do in a playoff environment. Um, like look at Luka Doncic from a few years ago. You know, I think his stock grew unbelievably yeah. because of what he did in their final four and, and and for Real Madrid there. So I think the ability to show what you can do in a playoff environment only helps your stock even more. And I don't think from everything I've heard around the breakers about who he is and the way he works, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's that's going to drop out. 
No, I believe he was around 12, 13 before the injury as well. So there is, there's a financial difference uh, with being a lottery pick compared to a late first round. But the big difference is first round to second round in terms of years guaranteed, those types of things. So yeah, I would agree. And the other thing is the breakers have missed some games over the last few weeks. Uh, So they've still got 11 regular season games left to pack in over this next four weeks. So they're going to be very busy, but it just means that there is plenty left for him to show uh, this season, the break is still 11 and six. So I haven't lost any faith in them, but I'm just curious to see how they get things ticking over again. They've been a top two offense, top two defense all season long, and they play the Perth Wildcats at home. Let's wrap this podcast up with some Ty Webster chat. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Talks between Ty Webster and the Perth Wildcats, even though Webster has been on his Turkish team, uh, they have been ongoing for a, a, quite a bit. For a few weeks, I was told. Um, there was talks about money and, and things like that. Um, and then over this past weekend, it became more real. Um, Ty asked for for a release from his Turkish team. They granted it. Um, it then became to, it came to a point where Ty was effectively agreed to join the Wildcats. Uh, but a buyout needed to be negotiated because Ty Webster had signed a two-year deal with the New, New Zealand Breakers. Um, back during that that first COVID year, um, he refused to get vaccinated, so he didn't play that season. But he was still technically, um, his right his NBL rights were with the Breakers, and so it came down to a negotiation between the Breakers and the Wildcats um, about buying him out. And so that was a little bit of a you know push and pull for a little bit, just because there's a competitive incentive for New Zealand to have maybe Absolutely. stalled a little bit. Um, but from what I was told, they 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 didn't play hardball too much. They were, they, something was eventually agreed to. It was eventually signed, um, and then that opened the door for Ty Webster to join the Wildcats. Unfortunately, uh, none of the Wildcats players were eligible to drop down to a de- development player spot, and so they had to cut a player. That ended up being Corey Sherville, who was the only guy on that team on a one year deal who wasn't really part of the rotation. Um, it was between it would have been between between him and Carl Zunick. Zuni's on a two-year deal, so you don't can't really cut a two-year deal. Um, it, it would just be a lot more difficult. Um, and so yeah, Ty Webster comes in, Corey Sherwell goes, becomes a, a training player, some sort of like that. Um, and so yeah, they it's weird that the Wildcats' big issue, I think, is defensively. Um, and it's I don't think that's something that can really be fixed um, unless they had brought in like the personnel for that. And so I think they're one of the best offensive teams. And so I think maybe they're just leaning into that. You know, here is another creator. You know, Mitch Norton hasn't really performed at the level we expect from him. You know, maybe Todd Blanchfield can step it up as, you know, a spot-up guy because he hasn't been great this season either. And maybe maybe we add another, you know, perimeter creation option and, you know, just outscore the hell out of teams. Yeah, I think that's the thing here because... You know, you hear some conversation that, well, it doesn't really help them. It doesn't really add. I mean, sometimes if, to your point, if you can't help the defense at this point in time and you're not going to help the rebounding, you can't bring in a big man, you've already got your two import spots locked up in big men, then, yeah, maybe you just lean into more scoring. And we have seen at times that even with the guards, and you mentioned some of the names there have been up and down. So it gives them another option now. How do they work out the rotation? Who, someone has to miss out. 
And who is that going to be? I think that that's the big question uh, for Perth. I mean, it's and, not Bryce. John, really. You don't think it will be Bryce? You don't think he's going to take a hit in minutes? No. As in, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yes, like Bryce. We're very sorry, <laughs> Bryce Cotton. But we have another player in mind. Like, it's it's it'll hurt Corey Webster's minutes. Um, I wonder if they're going to do, like, what Brisbane does and play, like, three guards. Yeah. Um, which is totally possible. Uh, Ty Webster's not an amazing spot-up shooter. So, I can imagine. Imagine the ball in... That that is where okay. I go so what about this. so the Bryce the two Websters Travers at the four, Thomas, is that what you're yeah. suggesting? I mean, I like well Travers is. So imagine Ty Webster at the top of the key with the ball in his hands. You got Cotton on one side, Corey Webster on the other. Mm-hmm. You have Luke Travers in the corner. His percentages are up. He's shooting close to thirty seven percent from three, which for him is really solid. He's shooting it really well lately. You got Thomas there as your your sort of dynamic mobile big. Offensively, that is a really cool balanced group. I don't mind that at all. That is super dynamic. Um, whether that unit can defend, uh, are you relying on your two bigs just to to do all the work there? Um, potentially. And then you got when once Brady Manic comes in, you know, again, you have such a potent offensive situation, but defensively, again, you there's not much going on there. It, again, if they can if their hope is to go and drop 120 points a game and hopefully win that way, then this makes a ton of sense. I, yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah, and just to be clear, if there's any Perth fans, I, I yes, I was joking about Bryce Cotton. <laughs> I just want to clarify it, just to make sure in case that wasn't part to... of your your ongoing anti Bryce agenda. That <sighs> Mate, carries uh, the years. No, uh, listen, <laughs> I actually will say, for the sake of his, even though he would not push back on the minutes he's played, and I'm sure he is physically fine. He, he has said before that he'd be happy to go to 48-minute games and probably play 46 minutes a game. But it is nice to see him get some help uh, with the scoring there. And it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think they'll be able to put up some point totals. But like we've seen with Adelaide, it's always interesting when teams make an addition to their roster this late in the season. With that what? kind of player too. Yeah. With like a guy who needs the ball in his hands. And and let me throw one more thing at you very quickly. In my awards thing, again, please go read it, everybody. Um but I have Bryce Cotton as like outside looking in. Mm-hmm. I've 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 made this a top three with Bryce Cotton on the edge. Do mm. you agree with that or do you think it's a top four? No, I would have uh Cooks, Cotton, Creek. Not necessarily in that order, but that would be my three. Ah, so no Pinder. Yeah, it's un- unfortunate. We'll see how many games he misses here. Um, mm. and, and I'm not necessarily doing it because of the games missed as well, but obviously his last two games were a little bit down. We've already discussed the reasons why for that. Uh, I just continue to marvel at what Cotton has done this season. And now again, Perth are in fifth. We'll see how they finish this mm. season up. Um, but it's going to be hard to deny if Perth keep winning games. Yeah. I, I made it clear that I had, it was for me, it was Cook's Creek and then a gap and then Pinder. Um, but yeah, I don't, completely hate the idea of Cotton even being above Pinder or in that conversation as a top four. Um, I just, I, I sort of wanted a few more games to tick over to see where these teams are in a few more games. No, totally fair. And and here's the thing. You talk about winning and how it matters with the MVP. Well, you know, the Taipans are 12 and seven, but the Wildcats are 10 and eight. And it's so bunched up from three through to seven that, I don't think you can penalize it. Like if you feel strongly about a guy that should be in your top three for MVP, then I don't think they should be penalized for one more win. You know, like the the, the gap isn't big enough to say, 
Well, like, so it is for cooks. The kings are 13 and five, but for the rest, it's bunched up. Put in whoever you feel strongly about. I agree. And and I don't even hate, I probably, I probably wouldn't, but Milton Doyle, as someone mm. who just exists, you know, sort of around the conversation, you know, he's at the very least in that all NBL conversation. And especially if we're doing two inside, three outside again, he's, he's maybe the next one in. All right, so we've got one night off the NBL tonight, which feels a little bit strange because it's been a while since that was the case. But then we're coming mm. back strong with a Wednesday night doubleheader, thanks to uh, the New Zealand Breakers, who obviously haven't played for a while. So we've got the Breakers and the Wildcats. Again, very interesting game. Is Ty Webster playing? I uh, don't know yet. Okay. They, were, they were confident he'd be cleared for it. Whether he actually plays minutes is a different question. All right, so we haven't... We haven't seen New Zealand for a bit, so we'll see how they come back. The Wildcats, obviously, a must-win situation for those guys as well. And then we've got Sydney and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, as we discussed at the top of the show. There's plenty on the line there. The Kings can extend uh, their gap at the top of the table, or the Phoenix can uh, pull off what probably would have to be said would be a big upset and try and get a win. And the good news is, after you're done watching two NBL games, keep it on ESPN for the jump live. You're going straight into it? Straight into it, we'll have a player from the winning team, whether it's a Kings player or a Phoenix player, chat to them. We've got another guest on the show, still locking that in, but it's going to be fun. And we'll just have general chaos and carry-on, Ogs. Hell yeah. So you're going straight into it. I like that. They're my favorite ones when we go straight from a game, game, jump, That's down. It. And I think we've got that for most of January. So 9.30, the jump straight after the NBL on Wednesday nights. Uh, jump on ESPN.com.au. Uh, for all the latest news throughout, Olds is going to be up in Sydney covering some games. I'll, I'm probably going to be traveling around getting some, some games as well because there's not a lot going on in Melbourne over the next month. But either way, we'll be back next Tuesday on this podcast. Eventually, I'll drag uh, the great man back to the studio and we'll be uh, back in Richmond. That's the ESPN officers. But until next week, Tuesday, Olds, uh, please travel safely. Get home. Thank you, Ken. I'll see you soon.